3: Children of the Night, and welcome! Well, our flash fiction contest is officially closed. It feels a little strange to not have any submissions to harass you about. We'll be taking the next several weeks to review, rate, and select our winners. We received almost 50 stories this time around, and based on preliminary reviews, This may be the most consistently highly rated contest we've had so far. There are some absolute pearls in there. So, again, thank you to everyone who dove in for a swim in our murky waters. I can't wait to share some of the horrors they've dredged up from the deep with you, children of the night. But while you'll have to wait a little while for that yet... We've got something to tide you over. One longer tale, tonight, from author John Maven. A past nominee for both the Aurora Award and the Journey Prize, John Maven is the author of Rage. He's taught creative writing at Capilano University, Simon Fraser University, the University of British Columbia, with new shoots, and at the Learning Exchange in Vancouver's downtown East Side. You can visit him at his website, johnmaven.com. Children of the Night, listen with me to John Maven's Restraint, first published in Speculative North, issue number two, August 2020.
1: to get started visit plushcare.com slash weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes
2: nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt
1: until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com.
2: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers.
0: Third quarter. Friday, March 13th. I wake naked on my bedroom floor as a late morning sun, filtered through the steel mesh on my security window, warms my skin. Morning doves plaint in the nearby pitch pines. I wonder what I did this time, but only until I notice the comforting scent of uncooked breakfast meat. I slip on my Moonspell jersey and denim skirt, pull my red hair into a ponytail, unlock my door, and head downstairs in the hope my program packmates have left me something to eat. The dining hall is empty. A human I've never met before, who reeks of stale garlic, scrolls through her phone at the big table. She stands when she sees me and tucks her graying hair behind her ears. Ulrika Rollins? I'm Acalia Laurent, your new caseworker. The kitchen staff has laid out fresh eggs and awesome roast, raw beef sausages spiced with cloves, mace, and nutmeg. But no one's touched them yet. I check the clock on the wall. 10.45 a.m. Is this about last night? Someone howls upstairs and kicks at a door. Acalia slips her phone into her purse. She's wearing a silver crucifix, an oversized red sweater, tan jeans, and brown blundstones. Gather your belongings, hun. You're being transferred. My stomach rumbles. I haven't eaten since lunchtime yesterday. They'd served metagel, uncooked minced pork, playfully shaped like little hedgehogs. Can I at least eat first? I move toward the full stack of cafeteria trays. Acalia steps in front of me and points to the clock the other residents have been kept in their rooms her smile disappears as she reaches into her purse and withdraws a vial of wolfsbane with a quick release seal you know the program has strict rules for werewolves who can't keep their shit together acalia drives us west on highway 401 in her silver ford fiesta a net bag of garlic cloves dangles from the rearview mirror My backpack, filled with everything I own, is on my lap. I do my best not to whimper. I'm now farther from home than I've ever been in my life. We left Ganonoke a little over three hours ago, and we're now passing Pearson Airport in Toronto. An incoming 747 thunders low to the ground, shaking the car. Program participants aren't allowed on public transportation, for obvious reasons. Akelia grips the wheel at nine and three. Hang in there. We're about halfway to Chatham. I swallow the last of the beef jerky she'd given me and reach for my phone in my back pocket, only to find the battery dead. I plug it into the Fiesta's USB port. I don't even know what I did. Akelia raises her eyebrows. You killed the Great Dane. Brutus? He'd been the Bisclavret Rehabilitation Center's communal pet and unofficial watchdog. I find dried blood under my fingernails. A half-remembered image of Brutus trying to hump my leg flashes. Bile rises in my throat. Acalia nods. Bisclavret is on an island in the St. Lawrence. Brutus and I used to go running every morning along the waterfront trail. I stare outside. A construction site's back dirt pile glows gold in the mid-afternoon sun. Akalia touches my sleeve with her right hand. Your dam enrolled you in the program to learn restraint. My heat is coming soon. Ruthven House is a halfway facility, hun. If you can make it to the end of the month without another episode, you'll be released. I thought I'd have to restart the hundred and twenty-day program all over again, like I did after the Irish wolfhound in Perry Sound. I can do that. Acalia smiles. Our first stop in Chatham is Talbot's Meats, a program-approved butcher on the outskirts of town. As we wait for Mr. Talbot to finish with his last customer, a woman smelling of eucalyptus shampoo and a pinstriped pantsuit, Acalia hands me an envelope filled with vouchers each printed with the Community Reintegration Program slogan, Disciplined Living for a Sustainable Future. I get to do my own meals? My dam prepares the food for our entire pack. Akalian nods and waits until Eucalyptus Woman leaves before flipping the closed sign and locking the door. Like the other residents at Ruthven House, repeated exposure to the local human population is now part of your rehabilitation. I smile and give Mr. Talbot a voucher. What can I get you? Mr. Talbot is a balding man in a white apron stiff with the scent of cold blood. Like a he wears a silver crucifix around his neck. A vial of wolfsbane sits on a low shelf behind him. Cuts of beef, pork, chicken, and lake fish lie on metal trays under the glass counter. A table with a few fruits and even fewer vegetables sits by the window. A glass-fronted freezer takes up the opposite wall. Mixed spices, cooking oils, and a selection of jarred sauces are scattered on the shelf above the wolf's vein. I look at Acalia. How big is the pack at Ruthven House? There are three other residents. I turn back to Mr. Talbot. Beef filet, finely chopped, enough for four. My dam would approve. For carne cruda, as a meal. Mr. Talbot frowns. Maybe you should make something else. Acalia glares at him. It's the only dish I know how to make. Raw beef with lemon, garlic, and olive oil. What do you care? I hand him three more vouchers. He shrugs and waves them away. You only need one. He heads into the back to start up his slicer. While he's gone, I grab a garlic clove and the freshest lemon from the table. Akelia smiles encouragingly. A few moments later, Mr. Talbot returns with a paper-wrapped bundle. I've got some blood platter. He points to the freezer. It's like black pudding, only thinner. I look at a package. Scandinavian pancakes made of whipped blood. Frozen, obviously. Gross. I shake my head. I'll need some extra virgin olive oil, too. Akelia slows in front of a hundred-year-old brick farmhouse surrounded by a field of withered corn stalks bordered by a cedar windbreak. A paved driveway is filled with black European imports, a Porsche 911, a Land Rover, an Audi crossover, and a two-door Jaguar sedan. All four cars are mud-splattered with scratch paint and are at least 20 years old. Acalia puts two wheels on the grass but keeps her foot on the brake. You're not coming in? I disconnect my phone and put it in my pocket. Akelia fingers her crucifix, then reaches into her purse and hands me her business card. My direct number. Check in every morning, hun. I grab my backpack and get out of her fiesta. The rural air is heavy with the tang of frozen manure underlaid with creosote. Akelia waves once, pulls back onto the gravel, and speeds away. The front door is boarded up, so I wind my way through the cars and enter the side door to find a darkened kitchen sharp with the scent of bleach. Drawn blackout curtains cover the windows. I find a light switch and close the door behind me. A communal fridge, a stove, a table with four chairs, and a sink, all dented and scratched and at least thirty years out of date, furnish the room. There is no dishwasher. Buckled linoleum covers the floor. One closed door with light peeking from underneath leads deeper into the house. A second door is most likely a supply closet. An official program memo is taped to the fridge. To reduce food order, meal preparation to begin no more than one hour before mealtimes. From a schedule hanging on a stained corkboard, I see dinner has been set for 8 p.m. As it's only 6.30 p.m., I stash my groceries in the fridge and go meet my new packmates. I open the door to the common room and, in shock to discover Ruthven House, doesn't have a pack at all. The three other residents, two males and a female, are perfumed vampires, rancid with the scents of sandalwood, vanilla, and rose oil. All are tall, blonde, or tight black turtleneck sweaters, and have the palest skin I've ever seen. None look a day over twenty-two. Sandalwood wears wool trousers and reclines in a battered easy chair reading a musty book. Vanilla and rose oil sit in front of a stained Chesterfield and appear to be making crank calls with a Ouija board. The floor is carpeted in orange shag. A video camera rests on an old-style television cabinet, recording their game as a disembodied voice sobs. Leave me alone! Blackout curtains seal the windows. An assortment of floor lamps light the room. I clear my throat. <clears> throat. Hello? Sandalwood glances up from his book. Stoker's Dracula. That is far enough. His accent is thick and comes from Sweden. Stay. The others look up. All three have eyes the color of glowing sapphires. I let the kitchen door swing shut behind me. I'm Ulrika. Acalia dropped me off. Rose oil, the female, wrinkles her nose. Fout You are stinking of garlic. Another Swede. How she can smell anything over her own cloying stench is beyond me. Sandalwood glances at rose oil, then turns to me. Community reintegration program? I nod. Vanilla, who's wearing black jeans, removes the planchette from the board, and the voice fades away. A new toy, Georg? His accent is Swedish as well. Rose Oil repositions the video camera to include me in the shot. Sandalwood, Georg, closes his book. You are learning to restrain yourself? I nod again. Vanilla smiles. Georg holds out a hand with tapered fingernails. Transfer papers? I reach into my backpack and take out my envelope of vouchers. This is all I've got. Georg shrugs. I put my vouchers away. I'm here until the end of the month. Rose Oil wrinkles her nose again. Vad fan! You are being an estrus! Vanilla whistles. The local dogs are going to be sniffing around for a fuck. My lip starts to curl, and I will it to relax. Past experience with my dam has taught me to deflect rather than confront. Would one of you show me my room? Wash the stink of Akelia from yourself first. Georg reopens his book, and do not come down until meal preparation time. Would one of you show me the shower, then? Upstairs. Rose Oil points to a banistered staircase in the corner. The basement is belonging to us. I find the bathroom just off the second floor landing. Dust and mold coat the cracked ceramic tiles. Spiderwebs shroud a clawfoot tub, a pedestal sink, and a toilet with an overhead cistern. All porcelain-enameled cast iron. Rust stains everything in sight. There is no shower. I open the taps. The sharp smell of sulfur flows with the brown trickle of water. After a few minutes, the water clears, and I wipe the tub down with a washcloth I'd brought from Bisclaveret. A few more minutes and the hot water kicks in. I can't find a drain stopper, so I stuff a second Bisclaveret washcloth in the drain, fill the tub, and take a quick bath. When I'm done, I dry myself with a towel, also from Bisclaveret, then get dressed in my jeans and a black t-shirt. I wrap my hair in the towel, collect my washcloths, and go looking for my room. The rest of the second floor is empty. I climb to the third floor and find a garret equipped with a portable cot, a water-stained wardrobe, and musty velvet blackout curtains. An army surplus blanket and a pair of frayed sheets are folded under a flattened pillow. My dorm room at Bisclaveret was ostentatious in comparison, but at least the door looks new. It's got reinforced hinges, a deadbolt, and steel strike plates. Standard program issue. So I should be safe enough. A gleaming key sits in the lock. I pull my hair into a ponytail, hang my towel and washcloths on a hook, and transfer my things to the wardrobe. My stomach rumbles. It's 7 p.m. I grab the key and go downstairs. The Swedes are still in the common room. I put on a smile I don't feel. I'll make dinner tonight. Rose Oil resets the Ouija board for another call. You are coming back too early. Georg doesn't look up from his book. The program mandates a strict schedule. I check my phone, 7.05 p.m. I was sure I'd read the schedule and warning sign correctly. Vanilla smirks. Your fur didn't clog the drain, did it? I slip into the kitchen. The schedule still says dinner is set for 8pm, but the program sign has been altered in red ink. To reduce food order, meal preparation to begin no more than one half hour before mealtimes. No dog food allowed. My lips starts to curl again, so I decide to give myself a tour of the grounds for the next half hour. In the backyard I find a wooden swing set, a dormant vegetable garden, a concrete birdbath, and a pair of green plastic garbage bins. A ten-speed bike with underinflated inflated tires leans against the swing set. I'd like to call home, but my first caseworker blocked my phone when I joined the program. Any contact with my pack is forbidden. So I pass the time scrolling through old photos. My littermates Randall and Lowell howling at a mid-morning moon during an all-pack hunt on Opiango Island my sire sunning himself on the shores of Lake Laviel, my dam scowling at the Algonquin Visitor's Center when my first caseworker took me away. I stay out until the sun sets at 7.30 p.m. I'm in the kitchen making a vampire-friendly carne cruda, no garlic, when the Swedes come in. I've already set the table for four. I hold up my mixing bowl. I hope you're hungry. Georg's copy of Dracula is tucked under his arm. He pulls out a chair for rose oil. She shakes her head and moves to the opposite side of the table. Georg blinks, then sits and opens his book. Rose oil flares her nostrils at me. Didn't you have the idiot? I cock my head. What? She points at the garlic clove I left on the counter. That! Sorry. I scoop the garlic up and drop it into the garbage under the sink. She bears her fangs. Nay, is not being good enough. Vanilla opens the fridge and takes out two containers stamped with Talbot's Meats logos. Svart sopa and bloodkorv. Blood soup and sausages. He empties them into a saucepan and skillet to reheat on the stove, then points to the outside door. Get rid of the garlic. Sorry. I grab the whole garbage bag and run it out to the bins in the backyard. When I return, the Swedes are already eating. My place setting has been removed, and Rose Oil's feet are propped on the empty chair. I grab my mixing bowl and approach the table. Akelia didn't tell me you weren't wolves. Vanilla slurps his soup and looks to Georg, pointedly ignoring me. There's a Friday the 13th marathon playing across the border in Detroit. I clear my throat. throat. May I sit? Rose Oil keeps her feet on the chair. That will be being fun, Jan. Georg sighs. Mary liked films. He turns a page. Vanilla, Jan, grins and has another slurp of soup. I take my mixing bowl to the common room. I sit on the Chesterfield and turn on the television. A meteorologist in a too-tight purple dress reviews the local forecast. The sky will be clouding over before moonrise with a 10% chance of overnight snow. When I've had my fill, I return to the kitchen. I stretch saran wrap over my leftovers and store them in the fridge. Jan points to the corkboard. Check the chore chart. The Swedes have added my name, crossing off Georg's. My duties include taking out the garbage every night, sweeping the kitchen floor keeping myself odor-free and never bringing garlic into the house again, all written in a feminine cursive. From the chart, I learn Rose Oil's name is Carolina. Jan smirks. My dam would tell me not to make a fuss. A little hazing couldn't possibly hurt me. I fake a smile, then open the supply closet. Stacked around a well-used washer and mismatched dryer or cartons filled with disinfectant wipes, powdered cleanser, bleach, spot remover, a broom, a dustpan, and an upright vacuum. I grab the broom and dustpan. I'm emptying the dustpan into an outside bin when the Swedes start their cars. Georg, the Land Rover, Karolina the Crossover, and Jan, the Porsche. Engines roar and gravel spits as they race into the twilight. I go back inside, climb the stairs, and lock the door to my garret. I check my curtains to make sure I won't be tempted by the moon if the meteorologist miscalculated, and smile when I find steel bars protecting my windows. Waning Crescent. Tuesday, March 17. I wake just before noon. Last night while I did my laundry— Georg lectured me on how my daytime movements were creaking the floorboards over his basement vault and disturbing his diurnal torpor. He sounded just like my dam. I promised to be more considerate. As of today, I've got exactly two weeks left in the program. I open my curtains. The moon is up. I dress quickly in my running gear and tiptoe outside. The sweets cars still fill the driveway, so I stretch on the road where loose gravel digs into my thighs. I brush it off, attach my earbuds to my phone, and crank Metallica. It's getting warmer, and the organic scent of thawing dirt has joined the mix of last year's manure and creosote. To the east lies a set of railway tracks. To the west, the county highway. Both Chatham and Talbot's Meats are to the north. I run back and forth between the highway and the tracks four times. I call Akalia as I begin my cool-down. Are the others too much for you, Hun? Nothing I can't handle. My dam would be proud. After my bath, I sneak downstairs for another look at the chore chart. The Swedes have altered it again, this time erasing Karolina's name. Along with my other duties, I now have to wash everyone's dishes, vacuum the common room, Quit shedding on the furniture and stop barking at passing cars. I scratch the last two off the list and grab the vacuum from the closet. I bang the first few walls with the vacuum, but stop when I realize I'm being petulant. My dam says it's one of my worst traits. I finish the rest of my chores as quietly as I can. When I'm done, I carry the 10-speed into town and inflate the tires at a gas station. Then I go to Talbot's to discuss dinner options that don't include garlic. What about steak tartare? Mr. Talbot reaches for a tray under the counter. Finely minced raw beef with onions, capers, and an egg yolk. A Happy St. Patrick's Day banner hangs in the window. Enough for four. How's the sharing going for you? He bends to pick up the tray of beef. Mind your own business, human. My dam's voice echoes in my head. It's taken me four days to get through the carne cruda, but I didn't waste anything. Watch your tone, wolf. He glances meaningfully at the wolf's bane. I'm trying to help you. I'm in the kitchen slicing onions when the Swedes emerge, blurry-eyed, from the basement at sunset. Georg wears his usual black turtleneck and wool trousers. He's finished Stoker and is on to Polidori's The Vampire, A Tale. Both Carolina and Jan wear green. She in a polyester mini-dress with striped thigh-high stockings, he in a sequined vest, puffed tie, and a plastic top hat complete with an oversized felt shamrock. Carolina sets the table for three. Dignadla, idiot. You will be vacuuming at night next time. I cringe. I'm sorry. My dam says I constantly shit on those around me. I slide the onions into my mixing bowl. I think you'll like what I'm making tonight. Jan takes a package of blood platter from the freezer. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, you really are in Egypt. We've told you we won't eat with you four days running. His put-on Irish accent is borderline offensive. Don't you want something fresh? Lassie, we'll never eat with the likes of you. Jan whistles a jig as he gets out a skillet. Ever. Georg pulls out a chair for Karolina, but as usual, she sits on the opposite side of the table and props her feet on the chair, which should be mine. His shoulders slump as he opens Polidori. I carry my dinner to the common room. The meteorologist warns of a 25% chance of overnight freezing rain. She slipped a green t-shirt over her dress, which renders her torso invisible. She giggles, then explains the green screen effect should appease those viewers who complain about her standing in front of their town on the map. New Moon, Friday, March 20. Jan's Porsche has been missing since Wednesday morning, so there's room to stretch on the paved driveway. Rejuvenating grass joins the manure medley as the creosote underlay disappears. I'm at the railway tracks when I notice a sanguineous secretion running down my thighs, a sign my heat will be coming in a few days. I sprint back to the house, clean myself as fast as I can, and stuff a washcloth in my underwear. My dam has always encouraged self-reliance. I call Acalia to assure her things are fine, then hurry to Chatham for sanitary supplies. I visit Mr. Talbot to put on a pad and a new pair of leak-proof underwear in his bathroom. You ever tried Kitfo? Mr. Talbot asks when I come out. What's that? Ethiopian. Minced raw beef marinated in a chili-based spice blend. My stomach rumbles. I'll take enough for one. I hand him a voucher. Mr. Talbot smiles. Given up on the night crawlers? I nod. How do I make it? I reach for my phone to look up the recipe, but it's not in my pocket. I must have left it in my room. Mr Talbot writes the recipe on a piece of paper and gives it to me. The Swedes are in the common room when I get back, again dressed in black turtlenecks and swimming in perfume. Georg reads Le Fenuse, Carmilla in his chair. Carolina has connected her camera to her laptop and is editing video files on the Chesterfield. Jan is playing Warren Zevon's Werewolves of London on an audio dock perched on the television cabinet. He's been wearing medical tape on his forehead since crashing the Porsche Tuesday night. I fake a smile. Hello. Carolina pinches her nose. Do stinker! Georg doesn't even bother looking up. Bathe. Jan rubs between his legs and pretends to whimper. Bite me. I cross the room to moot Jan's audio dock and stop. The dock is attached to my phone. I rip out the cable. Never touch my stuff again. Karolina and Jan wiggle their hands in feigned fear. Ooh. Georg closes his book. What consequence do you propose? I will myself to relax. Their strength doesn't rely on a shape-shift, and today is the new moon. I take another bath, then lock myself in my garret where I insert a menstrual cup, put on a fresh pair of leak-proof underwear, and curl up on my cot. Waxing Crescent, Monday, March 23rd. The Swedes took Jan's name off the chore chart last night. Now I've got to do the meal prep and cooking for everyone. I'm also required to bleach the kitchen after every meal, stop burying bones in the yard, and quit licking myself in the common room. When I open the door for my run, I'm hit hard with the scent of unneutered male Doberman Pinscher. He's locked in a prefab chain-link run where the vegetable garden used to be. He barks when he catches my scent. His tail stub wags. His cropped ears perk. I do my best to ignore him and stretch on the paved driveway. Karolina's Audi is now gone, too. Only Georg's Land Rover and the Jaguar, which I've never seen them use, are left. I listen to Ozzie on a double run, out to the tracks, then back to the highway eight times. My dam likes Ozzie, and she never exposes her belly to anyone. Ever. And no one dares cross her. Ever. Not even my sire. I get back to Ruthven House, have a quick bath, say nothing to Acalia at check-in, and visit Mr. Talbot. He recommends carpaccio. Thin slivers of raw beef drizzled with mustard sauce. Do you want me to slice it for you, Ulrika? No, thank you. I hand him a voucher and slide my wrapped groceries into my pack. I want to do it myself. As I slice my beef in the kitchen, I intentionally drop a metal bowl on the floor and stomp my feet on the linoleum. With a Doberman in the yard, I don't have any trouble suppressing my guilt. I have to drop the bowl three more times before the Swedes appear at 5 p.m., long before the new meal prep time of 7.45 p.m. My beef smells wonderful. Georg folds his arms across his chest. Carolina wrinkles her nose as she stands in the common room doorway. Helveta! You are smelling like a used tampon! Jan, who's wearing dark sunglasses, points to the food odors sign as he moves to block the outside door. I whistle the tune from Werewolves of London and keep slicing my carpaccio. Jan takes off his sunglasses and winces. Both of his eyebrows are ragged and held together with fresh medical tape. He tries to glare at me. I set down my knife, but keep whistling. (whistles) Georg's face hardens. What are you doing? I arrange my beef on a plate and pour my sauce over it. Your hazing stops now. Karolina scowls. Nay, it is stopping when we are saying it is stopping. Remember, we've seen your phone. Jan rubs his crotch and howls. Go hump a leg. I dip my fingers in mustard sauce and lick them one by one. Oh, I'm sorry, you can't. Your kind doesn't have living genitalia. Carlina hisses. Slang dig, wagen. I have no idea what you're saying. I smile wide. But I wonder, do you have to act like teenagers to feel anything at all, or are the three of you just dicks? I run the water in the sink and rinse the metal bowl I'd made the sauce in. Jan stops howling and bares his fangs. Go chase a car. Which one? Yours are almost gone. I turn off the tap and put the bowl on the counter. How come you never take the jaguar? Georg points to the outside door. Get out. I shrug. Sure. In eight days. Carlina hisses again. I roll my eyes. Jan puts his fangs away. Look at me! I do. He tries this hypno-mind trick on me, getting all charismatic, lowering his voice and amping up the suave. You want to please me. He looks ridiculous with the medical tape holding his eyebrows together. I laugh in his face. Fine, Jan frowns. Go hump your new boyfriend. Carolina steps closer. He is meaning the Doberman. A growl rumbles my throat. Jan smirks. The odds are three to one in our favor and the moon isn't out. I laugh again. Moonrise had been at 9.30 a.m., an ass-sniffingly important detail they would failed to register. I reach over the counter and open the blackout curtains. The crescent moon hangs over the cedar windbreak at the edge of the field. I feel a slight invigoration. More importantly, direct sunlight enters the room. Dust motes dance in the air. Reflections from the metal bowl dazzle the ceiling. Everyone's irises contract. Jan whips on his sunglasses and jumps back. Karolina squeaks as she hides in the supply closet. Georg closes the closet door. Shut the curtains! Get rid of the Doberman! A few tense minutes pass where we glare at each other, me in the sunlight by the counter, the Swedes in the shadows. Finally, when the sun reaches the closet door, Georg swallows. Okay. I close the curtains, and the Swedes relocate to the basement. I carry the television into the kitchen and enjoy my carpaccio at the table, with the meteorologist in the 2 tight dress, which is yellow today. She tells me the skies are to remain clear and the moon isn't due to set until midnight. Midway through her forecast, someone hands her a gray cardigan to cover herself. First Quarter Friday, March 27th While the weather's getting warmer, it's also been overcast for days and the Doberman is still in the backyard. I crank Danzig on my phone and go for a double run. When I get back, I discover the Swedes have locked me out of the house. Carlina watches through the kitchen window, wearing sunglasses and wrapped in a hooded cloak. She shoots me the finger. She's wearing leather gloves. Someone cranks Werewolves of London on the audio dock. They must have downloaded their own copy. While my dam's authority at home is undisputed, she certainly doesn't do everything herself. I call Acalia and demand an immediate transfer. You've got five days left, hon. Her voice is saccharine. They've brought in an unneutered Doberman. Akelia grows stern. It's within their rights as program participants to keep a pet. My heat is coming. You can do this. You remember Brutus and the Irish Wolfhound? Her tone lightens. Consider this your final test. If you can make it through this last week, then there will be nothing the human world can throw at you that you won't be able to handle. You'll be the Community Reintegration Program's greatest success. I hang up and grab the 10-speed. Mr. Talbot smiles as I enter. How about some koi soy? It's Thai. Ground lean beef marinated in fish sauce, lime juice, chilies, and herbs. I shake my head. Not today, thanks. Yuko? Korean beef fillet sliced into matchsticks, then marinated in soy sauce, sugar, and sesame oil. Flavor it with spring onions and sesame seeds and serve with a raw egg yolk on top. Too complicated. Mr. Talbot looks under his counter. The fresh T-bone? Perfect. I give him a voucher. I'm camped out on the wooden swing set figuring I'll wait until the Swedes leave for the night before I lock myself in my garret. The steel bars on the windows and my reinforced door will keep me safe. I nibble at my T-bone, trying to make it last. Even without seasonings, it tastes awesome. Some crows land in the field to peck at desiccated corn cobs. They're beyond chasing distance, so the Doberman keeps his focus on me. After a while, he starts to whine. He really wants my dinner or to make friends, I'm not sure which. I toss him the bone after I finish, and he settles down for a good gnaw. The Swedes don't come out of the house until twilight is over and true night has begun. They all climb into the Land Rover and speed off towards Chatham. The scent of their exhaust hangs heavy in the air. I wait until I can no longer see their brake lights, then I go inside, gather all the blood platter, sopa, and blood core from the fridge and throw it out. Then I take an hour-long bath, reinsert my cup, put on some clean underwear, and head to my garret. My blackout curtains are gone. My bedding is missing, too. The sheets, the blanket, and my pillow. My bisclavret towel unravels from my head, but before I can turn around, my door slams shut. The Swedes seal it by driving nails through the door frame. From beneath my cot, the Doberman whines. I growl and punch the door, but of course it won't budge as it's reinforced to program specs. Then I notice the large jug of water and a giant bag of kibble on the floor. Waxing Gibbous, Tuesday, March 31st I wake at dawn to the strong scent of cowering Doberman. I open my eyes and blink into the sunlight streaming through my bare windows. I check my leak-proof underwear. No fresh blood. I pull out my cup. My secretions are running clear. I'm now in full estrus. I punch the door. Let me out of here! Squeaking noises like a puppy's chew toy are my only reply. The Doberman whimpers from under my cot. I kick the door, but it barely even rocks. My dam always ridiculed my tantrums, recounting them with relish over packed dinners. I swallow my anger. Today is my last day in the program. I can do this. On the other side of my door, the Swedes start whistling. The Doberman crawls out from under my cot. I growl and point at the floor. He sits immediately. I check the weather on my phone. Moonrise isn't until 4.30 p.m. The Swedes stop whistling at sunset. The first door opens and closes. A few minutes later, they come around to the backyard. Silver moonlight bathes the recently tilled fields. Carlina balances her video camera on the empty dog run and points it at my windows. Hey, you will be smiling now. Jan holds up the squeak toy. It's a rubber novelty penis, complete with a cartoon face. Show the world what a depraved slut you really are. I shoot him the finger. Georg floats up and smiles. Let the Doberman mount you and this will all be over. My lip curls. Jan floats up and taps my window glass. Get her, Remus. Come on, boy. The Doberman, Remus, stands and starts to shake. His penis extends, furless and pink. I feel an overwhelming urge to raise my hindquarters. I almost puke. Sit! Remus turns in a circle. Now! He whimpers once and sits, slowly. I call Acalia. Get me out of here! She tisks. Today's your last day, hun. they They're trying to make me fuck the Doberman! Akelia hangs up. I throw my phone across the room. It shatters when it hits the wardrobe. Outside, Jan shoves the squeak toy down his pants. Georg taps my window. It is too bad your phone is broken. He points to a silver Ford Fiesta idling on the road. Acalia sits in the driver's seat with a pair of binoculars. You could have reminded your caseworker that Ruthven House is not a kennel. How dare she replace Mary with you? I kick the door again. Who the fuck is Mary? Georg's face hardens. He turns to Carolina. She shakes her head. Remus licks his lips and gets to his feet. I have to fight the urge to get on all fours. Down. Remus squats. Jan squeaks the rubber penis between his thighs and pretends to orgasm. Remus stands again. Although my dam won't let others do it, she does bend the rules to suit herself. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to learn. I shift slightly, no fur, just enough to make me stronger than your average house pet. My lupine desire skyrockets. Bile fills my mouth. I grab Remus by the scruff of his neck snap his spine, and jam his corpse against the window. Leave me alone, Georg. I'm going home. Georg blinks, then motions for Karolina and Jan to follow him back inside. They leave the video camera running. Georg tries to put his arm around Karolina. She slaps his hand. Yagarin in to Maddy. drives away. Full moon. Saturday, April 4. I've been locked in my garret with a dead dog and no toilet for five days. It reeks in here. I finished the last of the kibble yesterday. Carlina has brought out an extension cord and plugged it into her camera. Two days ago, I watched the farmer plant his corn. He never once looked at my window, not even when I took off my shirt and pushed my breasts to the glass. I'm so horny I could cry. The Swedes have been playing Werewolves of London non-stop. With Remus dead, my time over, and Achelia watching from her car, I no longer know what anyone wants. The sun sets and Georg's Land Rover drives past Achelia's Fiesta. He returns an hour later. The music stops. Silence buzzes in my ears. I smell a new dog. Georg drags an undocked Rottweiler behind him and locks him in the run. He then picks up the birdbath and throws it at my windows. It shatters against the steel bars. Shards of glass and crumbling concrete fly into my garret, but the bars hold. The scents of fresh manure, perfumed vampire, and virile Rottweiler fill my room. Georg floats up just beyond reach. Is this new stud more to your liking? I say nothing and watch the twilight deepen in the cloudless sky. Moonrise looks to be about half an hour away. The Rottweiler spins in circles and barks as he catches my scent. He's deep chested with a full tail, strong and masculine in ways Remus had never been. My knees start to bend. I grip the windowsill. Carolina picks up the camera. Jan squeaks the rubber penis and rubs it between his legs. Acalius Fiesta idles on the road. The Rottweiler's barking intensifies. I force myself to keep my hindquarters down. The cedar windbreak is starting to glow with a silver backlight. Georg smiles and extends his palm to Karolina. She rolls her eyes and stays with her camera. Georg turns to me. Fuck the dog. I shake my head and try to refocus the Swedes. What happened to Mary? Karolina glances at Georg, but neither respond. I move closer. Glass crunches under my feet. Eventually, Jan stops squeaking the rubber penis. She couldn't handle the boredom. What's that got to do with anything? Karolina scowls. Jan takes a deep breath. Suicide. I grip the bars. Why do you stay in the program, then? Georg bites his lip. Karolina shakes her head. That Finzen get deligued, Vader. But a deliga clatter. Everything we are doing is being viewed and judged. It is being like the hunting of witches again. Jan glances at Georg. We've even allowed ourselves to become domesticated. I roll my eyes. When was the last time any of you tasted living blood? Karolina wrinkles her nose. Ingenanning. We could be asking you the same thing. I nod. Yeah, I agree. We're all pathetic. While we talk, the Rottweiler begins to chew at the chain link. Metal bends. On the road... Akelia continues to watch through her binoculars. Carlina points to where the moon is rising. See? If you want to be going home, just be giving what we are wanting. My lip curls. I'm not fucking a dog. Why not? Jan throws the rubber penis to the ground. We've seen the messages on your phone. The Bernese mountain dog. The Irish wolfhound. The Great Dane. You've done it before. Many times. I clenched the bars. During my estrus last year, a Bernese mountain dog had followed me to our den. When my dam saw him thrusting against my leg as I tried to hold him off, she called me a slut, and I shifted. Unfortunately, the dog's owner organized an extensive search, and his eventual discovery of the mutilated corpse outside our den meant we had to move. My dam said she had no pity for a depraved bitch who couldn't keep her hindquarters down and kicked me out of the pack before I could make a move on my sire or my littermates. Randall, Lowell, and my sire swore that would never happen and begged for leniency. Eventually, my dam agreed to the compromise of the community reintegration program. I'd be able to come home only after I'd learned restraint. Jan picks up the rubber penis and squeaks it again. I know you want it. My first placement in Perry Sound ended when a stray Irish wolfhound somehow got onto the property and tried to hump me. I shifted and ripped him apart. Then there was Brutus. I still don't know what turned him on. I release the bars and growl at Jan. You didn't read the complete message threads. For an eternal creature, you have an amazing lack of patience. Enough of this tail chasing. Georg opens the run. He scoops up the Rottweiler and floats up to my window. It is time you met Mars. The Rottweiler, Mars, barks. I step away from the window. Karolina floats up and points her camera into my garret. You will be smiling now. Mars smacks his lips. I start to swoon. Jan laughs and squeaks the rubber penis. The sky brightens. Leave me alone! I will not give in, no matter the full moon, no matter my estrus, no matter my stupid lupine body thinking a Rottweiler is an appropriate sexual partner. No matter these bored and grieving vampires toying with me or my whacked-out caseworker testing me beyond all reason. I'm going home! Georg laughs. As the moon rises over the cedars, I feel its pull. Strong. Tempting. I throw myself onto my cot and bury my face in the bare mattress. Jan stops squeaking the rubber penis. What are we going to do now? I keep my face in the mattress. Georg clears his throat. <clears throat> you will digitally stimulate the canine. You? Jan's voice floats farther away. No way. Karolina? Nay. Then I will do it myself. Georg's voice comes closer. Mars barks once more, then begins to whimper. I keep my head down, but can imagine him thrusting into the air as Georg manipulates him. Karolina hisses. Den Snuschkomer! I smell prosthetic fluid. I slip to the floor and pull the mattress on top of me. Stop molesting Mars! Den fuck him! Georg's voice is hard as stone. I can't imagine my damn letting herself get caught in a situation like this. But she's not here to help me, and all Acalia does is watch through her binoculars. None of my caseworkers has ever told me how I'm supposed to resist anything. No tips, no suggestions, no twelve steps. This program is so unfair. I should have been done days ago. At this rate, I'll never be allowed to go home. My rage runs cold. I throw off the mattress and get to my feet. Carlina holds her camera steady. Jan floats up and squeaks the rubber penis again. Georg presses Mars to my window. I take off my shirt. Jan rubs his hands together. Mars whimpers. I roll down my shorts, untie my hair, and look Georg in the eye. Is this what you want? He nods. Slowly and deliberately, I shake my head. Never. I stand tall and look at the moon. I let my fur grow, my eye teeth lengthen, and my body distend. It feels good. Powerful. Calming. My claws go sharp. Waning Gibbous. Sunday, April 5. I wake naked in the cornfield, the rising sun warming me as crows pillage the newly planted corn. The mingled scents of dirt, manure, and undead blood tinged with sandalwood, vanilla, and rose oil fill the air. I get to my feet and jog back to Ruthven House. The window bars have been ripped from the wall and lie across the crumpled chain-link run. Tufts of red fur flutter in the breeze. Still in shadow, Georg's corpse is impaled on the remains of the swing set, a wooden support beam piercing his chest, and a net bag of garlic cloves stuffed in his mouth. Karolina and Jan's decapitated bodies have been jammed in the garbage bins. The ten speed has been torn in half. As the sun's rays hit the Swedes' exposed skin, their corpses smoke and crumble to greasy ash. I pick up Karolina's camera and smash it against the brick wall of the house. Mars is nowhere to be found, although his tracks lead me around the house before disappearing across the gravel road and into another cornfield. Acalia's silver fiesta is in the driveway, upside down with the windshield punched in, lying on top of the Land Rover. Her body is still buckled in her seat, her throat slit with three parallel gashes, an unopened vial of wolfsbane clutched in her fist. I find dried blood under my fingernails. I am so fucked. My dam will never forgive me. I reach into the Fiesta and grab Acalia's phone. I call home to apologize for failing the community reintegration program. There's no way I'll get another transfer after this. But a recorded message says the number is no longer in use. I check Acalia's contacts and find my dam's new number, listed with an address in the Muskoka's. She answers on the third ring. It's done? It's so good to hear her voice. I choke up and can't even get out a hello. Akalia! My dam's voice turns sharp. Is the little slut dead? I curl my lip. My mind works through the ramifications. My dam had never agreed to a compromise at all. Somehow she must have seen my wakening sexuality as a threat to her dominance. That is so twisted. I grow cold again. I power off the phone and pry the vial of wolfsbane from Achelea's fingers. Then I go back into Ruthven House, get dressed, and stuff my things into my backpack. I slip the wolfsbane into my pocket, then find the keys to the jaguar in Mary's vault. Greasy ash coats the jaguar's front seat. I clean it off with my bisclavert towel, throw my pack in the back, start the engine, and go see Mr. Talbot. I thank him for his friendship, exchange my remaining vouchers for fresh meat, and say goodbye. Then I get on the county highway and head for the 401. I'm going home.
3: That was John Maven's Restraint, as read by Amy Pownessa. Amy Pownessa has been the producer and host of The Bloodlust, a horror movie review podcast, since 2014. She has narrated stories for various other podcasts, including Knife Point Horror and The Alexandria Archives. She's thrilled to read for Tales to Terrify, especially because she credits the podcast with reigniting her love of horror fiction. You can contact Amy through her website, thebloodlust.net. Thank you, Amy. Well, children of the night. The hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Kathy Robinson and Amanda Gottfried, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free and extended episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review you'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing. So check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Borgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Join us again next week as we infect your soul with more Tales to Terrify.